Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. All right, grab your Bible, please, and turn to the book of Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Tonight I want to talk to you about living a surrendered life. It's, um, it kind of goes along with the song, I Surrender All, there. And I want you to uh, go to Romans chapter 12, and that's where we'll start tonight. For just a few moments. Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2, familiar portion of Scripture, says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, and acceptable and perfect will of God. Father, we come to you right now. We thank you for the opportunity that we have to learn your word. Touch me, Lord, to be able to effectively communicate it tonight. Touch the ears of the hearers to hear. Pray that you would touch our understanding, that it would be enlightened, that we would take this word, that it would feed our spirits, and that we would take it, put it into practice in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. The doctrines of our faith are often mocked and ridiculed in the public arena, aren't they? It's not as popular today to be a Christian as it used to be in America. It's kind of popular in other parts of the, country, uh, of the world, but it's not that popular in America. And the reason is because there are people that are of other faiths and there are people who just have no faith who are constantly asking questions about is God real, is His Word real, and things like that. And so we have a lot of secular humanism and other things uh, in the atmosphere around us, I guess you could say, or in our nation today. That's a better way to say it, in our nation today. And so many times when we're in that public arena and we tell people that we're Christians then sometimes now people kind of look down their nose at us instead of, instead of respect us for that. Um, my question tonight, and this is how this whole message came about, is how can we resist the secular influences of our time? How can we say, God, I'm going to live for you no matter what. I'm going to follow the command of God to be holy and acceptable and without blame before the Lord, whether people around me believe it or not or whether they don't or whether they accept me or, or whether they don't, God, that's what I'm going to do. So Paul kind of addresses this, or not, not Paul, but the writer, I, maybe it was Paul, I don't know, but kind of addresses this here uh, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I read it to you where it says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now, God's call, and the, point that, the part that I want to point out to you uh, right here in the beginning is where the Bible said that it's our reasonable service. Now, God calls us to surrender our lives as a living sacrifice. The world, the secular world today would tell us that's not reasonable. 
Why would you want to live your life surrendered to a God that you cannot see and you have never seen? Why would you want to live your life surrendered to someone you've never heard with your physical ear and you don't have any hope of ever hearing until you go home home to be with the Lord? My response to that is to the secular humanist, Sir, do you have a brain? Well, sure I have a brain. Has anyone ever seen your brain? Has anyone ever touched your brain? Has anyone ever smelled your brain? Well, no, 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 no. Then can we assume because no one has ever seen, touched, felt, or smelled your brain, the five senses, that you just don't have a brain? And the secular humanist would say, well, that's not possible. It's evidence that I have a brain because I'm having conversation with you. And that's when we say, and it's evident that God was your creator because He created the brain that we can't see that gives you the ability to communicate with us. So secular humanism will use the five senses and around us, the the secular influences will use the five senses that are around us to challenge our faith in the existence of God and the fact that He lives and and exists in our heart and in our life. Here's what God says. He says, live sacrificially. And that means when people criticize you, when they ridicule you, when they don't understand you, just keep living for me. And sometimes it might be a sacrifice. Which means in America today, people may laugh at us and they may criticize us and they may mock us and they may misunderstand us and they may say we're crazy and they may say we're nuts and all of these kinds of things. But it's okay for them to say that that is a small price to pay, especially compared to those who were sawn asunder, destroyed at the mouth of lions, burned at the stake and crucified on crosses like Jesus was for their faith. God has called us to holy living. Romans chapters 1 through 11, the apostle explains salvation, victorious Christian living, and the Lord's ultimate plan for Israel. But then in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he urges the believer to give control of their lives to God in light of all that He has done for us. Even though maybe we have not seen Him, we haven't experienced Him, we've experienced Him, but maybe we haven't seen Him, taste, touch, smelled, those types of things, but we receive Him by faith. And it's evidence that we've received Him because of the change that took place in our life. I once was bound, but now I'm free. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I can see. We're saved, we're washed, we're cleansed, we're rejuvenated, we're justified, we're regenerated, we're redeemed because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ on Calvary. Was anyone here present at the crucifixion? If you raise your hands, I'm going to cast that line devil out of you right now in Jesus' name. Because you weren't here. You weren't here. But the evidence of the crucifixion and the resurrection 
of the Lord Jesus Christ is in this room tonight by the evidence of the fact that we are washed and cleansed and justified and redeemed and set apart and made holy unto God. Hallelujah. There's a little preaching here tonight. We got to make up our mind that we're going to give control of our life over to the Father. When we give our life to Christ, when we say, God, I surrender to you, then we no longer have the right to run our own lives. We have to choose, Lord, I'm going to live surrendered to you or I'm not. We can let Him be Savior. And there's a lot of people that allows Him to be Savior, but they don't want Him to be the Lord of their life. And there's a big difference between Him being the Savior of your life and Him being the Lord of your life. Allowing Him to be the Savior of your life and the Savior of your soul is, Lord, you've cleansed me, you've washed me, I've experienced your grace, I'm living in your mercy. I thank you because of the blood of Jesus. But when I say I'm going to let Him be the Lord of my life, when I say Jesus is Lord over my life, then what that is saying is I surrender the control of my life over to God and I'm allowing Him to Lord over my affairs. Come on, touch your neighbor and say, Jesus is Lord. Tell them that. So when we give control to the Father, we say, I no longer have the right to run my own life, that my entire being, including my mind, my will, and my emotions, is yielded to God. This is Wednesday night. I can get rid of that, right? So I've made the choice to live yielded to God. I've made the choice to live surrendered to the Lord. Now, when we do that, then we are accepting the call to be the living sacrifice. Now, when I say that I'm going to be the living sacrifice, that means that I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to live through me. When you sacrifice something, it dies. So if I'm a living sacrifice before the Lord, what that means is there are things in my life that I have control of that I'm going to have to let die in order to allow Jesus to be the Lord of my life. So what has to die? Obviously, God doesn't want our physical being to die, but what has to die is my wants and my desires, and my will, and my emotions, and my stubbornness. All that stuff has to die. Let me put it like this. The flesh has to die. The Bible said that flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other. They are both constantly fighting for who will be the Lord of your life. Now let me tell you, whatever you feed the most is what's going to be the strongest and that's what will become the Lord of your life. God's Word tells us, let not sin reign in our mortal body that we would fulfill it in the lust thereof. If we don't watch it, sin will set up residence inside of us, take control of us, lord over us, begin to reign over us, And sin is a willful transgression against the law of God. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Satan comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So Satan is out for your destruction, but God is out to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. So if I'm allowing things in my life that is destroying my walk with God, then that part of my life needs to become a living sacrifice. 
I need to give it to the Lord. Lord, I lay down my pride. Lord, I lay down always having to have things my way. Lord, I lay down whatever it is, gossip and backbiting and things that set themselves. Lord, I lay down the idols that are between me and you. Because God, I want to live the surrendered life to you and before you. And so we become the living sacrifice, which means that we allow the Holy Spirit to live through us. Now, as we surrender to the Lord, as we surrender to Him, then He empowers the Holy Spirit in us, or the Holy Spirit empowers us to live that godly life. It's amazing. The closer you get to the Lord, the more precious He becomes to you. All of a sudden, the things that you wanted before, you no longer want. Really, what matters to you is what matters to Him. How many remember the day that you fell in love? You couldn't stay off the phone, right? My wife told one of my girls the other day, she said, when I met your father, I thought he was the most arrogant person I had ever met in my entire life. I said, well, you crazy woman, why in the world would you tell our daughters that? She said, because it was true. I thought you were arrogant. And so one of the kids asked him, said, well, what changed? She said, I talked to him on the phone all night long, one night. And my whole attitude changed about him. <laughs> when you fall in love with someone and you are really in love with them, especially the early stages of it, when you are really in love with that person, all that really matters to you is what they want. Right? And so when we fall in love with the Lord, I mean, we really fall in love with the Lord. I don't follow the precepts of the Scripture because I'm afraid of going to hell. I don't follow the precepts of the Scripture because I want to be able to check that off. Yeah, I'm doing that. Yeah, I'm doing that. Yeah, I'm doing that. No, 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 no. If God's Word says to do something, I do it for one reason. Because I love the Lord. If the Word of God tells me not to do something, then I don't do it. Why? Not because I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell if I do. Not because I want to get my list out and check it off. I don't do it because I just love the Lord. Some people say it's so hard to live for the Lord. My answer to them is not if you love Him. Not if you love Him. It's not hard to live for the Lord if you love Him. In fact, if you love Him, you can't do enough for Him. Some of these people, they come along here and they want to be involved in ministry and they've got all these, you know, they'll come in and they'll try to impress you with all of these things. They'll say all that kind of stuff. And then you talk to them about, you know, you need to give your heart to the Lord. We, we, you know, we're going to have to get together. We need to do something like this, you know, for the ministry around the church or out, out in the community or something like that. Well, I can't do that. I just don't have the time. Well, how come you don't have the time? Well, well, it's because I've already worked 40 or 50 hours this week and, and I just don't have any time. I, I just I can't do that. I, I can't do that. Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? I don't have time to go win somebody to Jesus. Dr. John and I were talking about this the other day. We have people sometimes, we've had a few people here not too, not too far in the past that's made the statement to him he's trying to get some help with the rope center down there and they said well I've got to pray and see if the Lord will release me to help down there 
on a, on a Tuesday night, got, have to pray to see if the Lord will release them to spend an hour and a half to go down and try to win people to Jesus who are on drugs and alcohol. Who has to pray about that? Why do you have to pray about that? Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save those that are lost. You don't have to be, quote, released by God to go tell somebody about Jesus. You see what I'm saying? You're a flake. You're just flaky. Then come church want to prophesy. Just shut your mouth. You can't even go somewhere and try to win somebody to Jesus. Then you come to church and where everybody's watching and you want, the, and you want to prophesy in front of everybody. I, we, know, we know what's up with you. And so does the Lord. And so does the Lord. So here's what I'm trying to tell you. We've got to live a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. So the apostle urges us to have holy sacrifice. Now, in the Greek, the word holy means set apart for a specific purpose. And one of the paradoxes of our faith, sanctification or being made holy, happens at salvation, but it's also a lifelong process. So we are living a sanctified life, which means that God is constantly setting us aside for His perfect work in our lives. And then the Bible said that our lives should be acceptable unto God. As believers, we should be different from the world. That's the only way we're going to be acceptable unto God. If the world comes to church, and I'm so sick of hearing this word relevant, relevant. We got to be relevant if we're going to reach this generation. We just need to be relevant or we just need to be real. Well, what have I been for the last 48, 9, 49 years? What have I, I've been real. This is real. You're real. Well, just be real. Well, what do you think we're being? We're being real. Well, we just have to be relevant. What does that even mean? To be relevant. As believers, God hasn't called us to be like the world. God has called us to be different from the world. Now that doesn't mean the way that we dress and it doesn't mean the way that we look, but it means in our heart, in our spirit, and what's happening inside of us will be reflected on the outside of us. As believers, we ought to be different from the world. Our goal should be to act like Jesus did, to forgive, to love, to help others, to have compassion, to know when to speak and when to be quiet, to know when to share our faith and when to just sit back and pray. When we sin, instead of covering it up, we should be quick to confess it to the Lord and repent and turn and go in a different direction. A godly lifestyle will attract people to God but it will also drive some away. Sometimes the same people who resist the gospel will seek out a believer for help when life gets difficult. How many has ever been to your family reunion? They laugh at you, they criticize you, they make fun of you because, oh, you're one of them holy rollers. But you let mammal get cancer and who are they going to call to pray? Come on now. Pastor, you're just meddling tonight. No, 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 no. We're talking about living holy and acceptable and set apart. I'm not talking about these lists of things that we do and the things that we do. I'm talking about allowing God to change your heart. 
allowing Him to change your heart. Those who live in a godly manner will face conflict with the world. That's what the Bible says. Pressure from those in the world sometimes causes believers to compromise their own convictions. They want to be like the world. Our highest priority, listen very carefully to what I'm getting ready to say. Our highest priority should be to please God, not to try to fit in with the world. We got to please God. We got to learn how to please God. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. Now it says this it says, to not be conformed to the world. The media portrays the idea that if we become rich, attractive, influential, or famous, that we'll be happy and content. But none of these things guarantee our joy. I know a lot of wealthy people who are miserable. Who are miserable. I'm not talking about people that have $100,000. I'm talking about I know millionaires who are miserable. They're just miserable. And they'll all say the same thing. Everybody says that money can buy you happiness and money doesn't buy you happiness. Money can't buy you happiness. It, it can make life a little better. Somebody said those that say money don't buy happiness never had any. Well, yeah. I know what it's like to have money. I know what it's like not to have money. I'm going to tell you something. When you have money, you still need God. When you don't have money, you still need God. It doesn't matter. When you stand before God, you're not taking your car with you. You're not taking your mansion with you. You're not taking your influence with you. You're not taking your stocks and your bonds with you. You're not going to take your business with you. When you stand before God, He's going to open up the book and He's going to look and see if your name is there. And if your name is there, He's going to welcome you in to His presence. But if it's not, He's going to say, Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. That's in the book of Revelation. It's in the book. It's in the Bible. We have got to quit judging people by the car that they drive, by the house that they live in, by the clothes that's on their back, by the restaurants that they eat, by the influence that they have in society. And we need to start seeing them like God sees them as people that without God, they are destitute and they are lost and they are miserable and they need God in their life. Never ever befriend someone because of what they have. Just love them for who they are. And you can do that and not be conformed to the world. Don't let the culture around you shape your value system and determine your priorities. I'm going to say that again. Don't let the culture around you determine your value system and shape your priorities. My value system is in the Word of God. My priority is in the Word of God. And God's Word says to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed. Transformed from what? From a worldly mindset. From a fleshly mindset. From a mindset that will keep me in bondage and away from what I need from the Lord. So God's Word tells us to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's Romans 12 and 12. Now, how do we do that? We fill our mind with Scripture. 
The Bible said in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. When we fill our mind with Scripture, then we learn God's perspective and we learn more about God. And the more that we learn about Him, the easier it is to please Him. The second thing that we do if we are not conformed to this world but we're transformed by the renewing of our mind is we focus on positive, righteous, and holy things. Colossians 3 and 3, Philippians 4 and 8. Whatsoever things are true and honest and just, and you know the scripture. We don't have time to get into it tonight, but focus on positive, righteous, and holy things. This should include the friends that you have and the entertainment that you select and the influences that you allow in your life. Come on, look at your neighbor and say, are we a Christian or what? And if, the person, and if the person beside you said, hmm, there's the altar right there. <laughs> we got to focus on positive, righteous, and holy things. Guard your mind. The, by the, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The best way for a gossiper to get delivered from gossiping is for them to start hanging around with someone who blesses people all the time. Someone who's all the time trying to find fault with people, the best way for them to get free from that is to hang around people who are constantly looking for the good in others and pointing it out and lifting them up and encouraging them. That's the transformation of the renewing of our mind. The Bible said that we were born in sin and in sin did our mother conceive us so we were born in the flesh. We become born again which means that God reworks us, God transforms us and we have to allow all of that old junk that the flesh has put in us to be purged out of us with the blood of Jesus and we need to embrace God's system and God's ways of doing things. Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. So when I think like God thinks, I get what God's Word says I can have. And when I act like God acts, then my life produces what God's Word says that I can have. But when I do something different than that, and I allow my flesh to become king, then I get what sin produces. Right? So how do I not conform? How do I resist conforming to the world's image? I have to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. How do I do that? I fill my mind with Scripture. I focus on positive, righteous, and holy things. I gave you Scriptures for that. Number three, I apply biblical truth to my heart. And that's Proverbs 8, 32 through 36. As we go about our day, we ask God to show us how to put into practice the principles of His Word. Listen, it's important for us to do this, church. James chapter 1 and verse number 22 tells us to be doers of the Word and not just hearers only. 
deceiving our own selves. We can know the Word inside and out, but if we never apply it to our life, then we can never have what the Word says that it will produce in our life. And so what we have to do is we have to apply that biblical truth to our heart and let God's Word change our heart. Out of the abundance of our heart, the mouth speaks. The Word will work if we work the Word. And the way that, that it works is we apply it to our heart and we apply it to our life and we put it to work in our life. We don't just speak it. We have to speak it. We have to confess God's Word over our situation. We don't just, but we don't just speak it over our situation. We let the Word of God get inside of us and go to work on the inside of us. And when it goes to work on the inside of us, it starts adjusting and changing and tweaking and moving. And, and six months down the road, you turn around and you think, was that really me way back then? What happened? The Word has been at work in your life. And then the fourth thing and the last thing about renewing our mind, how do we do that? Is we need to practice the presence, the daily presence of God in our life. We need to understand that God is always with us. He lives inside of us. We're His dwelling place. We're the temple of God. The place where God dwells. Next time you're getting ready to say something you shouldn't say, just think, do I want God to hear that? Because if you say it, He will. Next time you're tempted to do something you're not supposed to do, do I really want to involve God in that? First of all, if you're not supposed to be doing it, you won't involve him in it. He'll just take a pass. But I wouldn't risk it. I want him involved in my life. I want him living inside of me. I want to practice the, the daily presence of God because I know he's always with me. And so how do I do that, Pastor? You ask him to make you more sensitive to him. Lord, make me more sensitive to your presence in my life. Lord, let me, to hear, let me hear you more clearly, Lord. Let my spiritual man be more keen to you, Lord. Lord, guide me and, and Lord, direct me. And so as we allow Holy Spirit to live through us, then we're able to help withstand the temptation to become more like Christ. Here's what the Word of God says. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted, above that you are able, now listen, but will also make a way to escape the temptation that you may be able to bear it. God did not say He would deliver you out of temptation. He said, I'll make the way of escape. But you've got to take it. You've got to take that way of escape. You've got to say, oh, nope, 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 no, no, I'm going to go this way. It's like chocolate cake. Somebody on Facebook, they put, if you only had, if you knew you could live for the rest of your, no, no, if you knew you could live and never die, what would you do? I put, eat cake. <laughs> Obviously they laughed. But listen. 
Somebody can give you a big old piece of chocolate cake, and if you have sugar real bad, you know you shouldn't. you got a choice. You can say, no, I think I'll pass on it. Well, that's the way it is with the presence of God. Lord, I want your presence in my life. And if what's being presented to me is something that is going to sacrifice or hinder or hurt your presence from flowing in and out of my life and being a part of me, then, Lord, I'm going to... I'm going to take my way of escape. I'm not going to allow myself to be tempted. I'm going to walk away from that, God. God, your presence is more important to me than what I want. God, your presence is more important to me than, than me having to win this battle. God, your presence is more important to me than, uh, than having to stay in bitterness and not walk in forgiveness. God, your presence is more important to me. And so how do we transform through the renewing of our mind? We practice the presence. So the key to living a godly life is full surrender. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's not unreasonable, it's reasonable. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at www.suncoast4, and that's the number four, Jesus, TV. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.